BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I don't know if you've heard the word, but we have merch. That's right, Papaya Podcast listeners, we have our very own merch. There's a few different options to go off of. One is just what you all call yourself, papayas. The next one is based on our number one review that we've ever gotten that this show has nothing about papayas in it. It's just filled with lady crap. So of course, we came out with a little tiny zip bag as well as a sweatshirt line with lady crap on the front. And of course, one of my favorite things that I've ever said, it happened in one of the first episodes of the show which has been almost four years now, which is, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. It has been the mantra of so much of my life. And I love that it's now on sweatshirts. So whether you want lady crap, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyways, or just owning your papaya's title, check out the merch right now. Go and shop at dearmedia.com. Check out the shop and you can search for the Papaya Podcast to shop for our merch. And a little something extra for anyone who's listening to the show, you're going to get additional 15% off if you use code PAPAYA15. So go shop now at shop.dearmedia.com. Search Papaya. Thanks so much. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Today's guest, I met backstage at an event where she had just walked off the stage and everyone came up to me and was like, you need to meet this person. She's incredible. What she just shared with us was out of this world. Please have her on your podcast. And so then minutes later, I met this woman. Her name is Kendra Fisher. And she is somebody who came from Team Canada as a goaltender. And I don't know her whole story, but had to leave that position because of severe anxiety disorder coupled with severe panic attacks, depression, and agoraphobia. Anxiety and depression is talked about a lot. I am, whatever her story is, and obviously we're about to just unfold this together, obviously created an incredible impact because the room was buzzing after she walked out of it and with so much hope, with so much tenacity and with so much appreciation for sharing of these parts 
of mental health and mental health issues and continuing the efforts to talk about them. So please welcome Kendra Fisher. All right. We're here. We're having the combo. We met backstage a month ago. Is it a month ago already now? I feel like it might've even been longer, which is scarier. Oh no, that is scary. I don't even want to hear that. But we recently, recently met. And I was just saying in the, before the episode began, everyone was like, oh, they were just buzzing after you got off the stage. And I'm like, wait, what, what just happened? Like, I want, (laughs) I want an, I want in on this conversation too. So I'm so grateful that you're coming on here to sort of share your story, share what it is that made everybody in that room go all buzzy about it. And we're truly like, you know, when you see somebody and they've just been so impacted, that's what I was witnessing. I was witnessing people who had just been impacted and you could tell it was like a big deal. And it also was like, there was a joy and a hope with everyone. And I I say this knowing very little context to your story. So thank you for coming on the show. Kendra, tell us a little bit about who you are and maybe you share a bit of what your speech was that day that created such an impact. Well, I mean, if only we could figure that out, right? And we could just kind of (laughs) like- Just go into the human brain. Keep it there forever. (laughs) Uh, First off, I mean, that's awesome. I I had such a great time at that event Mm -hmm. and it was so wonderful to meet you. I I believe that I kind of like hijacked your- your downtime right before you hopped on stage. I loved it. Gave me good energy. It it was unapologetic, but I I was aware that I did it. Um, (laughs) it, Me in a nutshell, I mean, uh, I share my journey with mental health. So Mm -hmm. I'm a past member of Team Canada's hockey program. And Mm -hmm. quite literally the day I made Team Canada at tryouts was the day I quit Team Canada. So I had gotten to a place in my life where a lot of kind of trips to doctors and specialists weren't giving me any answers. And mm. at that point, you know, a couple of years ago when I was a teenager, it just wasn't the same conversation. And so I was ending yeah. up in the emergency room. I was ending up with specialists and doctors. Nobody could tell me what was wrong. And unfortunately, it kind of became the perfect storm right at the worst possible time in my life. And yeah. I had to tell the coaches of Team Canada the day they told me I made the team that I couldn't accept and I had to leave. I was diagnosed shortly after with an anxiety disorder, panic disorder, clinical depression, agoraphobia, and OCD because I'm an overachiever. And wow. uh, Yeah, I just wanted to try it all out. I I didn't (laughs) like the thought of just sticking with one. Um, And it paralyzed me. It it put me in a place where I wasn't able to leave my apartment for five years. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't be alone. Do you mean the symptoms of it itself or the diagnosis? Like was the diagnosis really, really hard? Or was that sort of a relief that you knew something was going on? I was the most unwilling patient for the Mm, first five years of my diagnosis that the diagnosis didn't matter. At that point, I would say roughly 50 to 75% of every day I was spending in severe panic disorder, uh, panic attacks. Yeah. So, you know, everything from, I went from 160 pound athletic hockey player. I was 123 pounds. I, I was so physically nauseous all the time. I felt sick all the time. I felt like I was having a heart attack every day of my life. I, couldn't control symptomatically and biologically what my body was responding to. 
And I had no guidance really on what I was trying to deal with or, or how yeah. to even approach that. I had every specialist you could imagine and everyone told me how healthy I was. So mm. it, it never measured up. And then finally, when I got that diagnosis, I mean, I was the epitome of how dare you, how, how dare you tell me that I'm living with mental illness. I just made team Canada. I had yeah. great family, friends. I have scholarship offers to every university I could want to go to. And you have the nerve to tell me that this is all just in my head. And mm. I had no concept or education around really what that meant and how it was entirely affecting me. And for about five years, I, I basically, I was able to do one thing and that was play hockey. My psychologist, my parents, my doctors all kind of sat me down and said, you don't get to give up and die. So yeah. pick one thing. Pick one thing that you're going to stick with, whatever it is. If it's school, if it's work, if it's hockey, you want to take up knitting. You have to have something in your life that gives you a reason to wake up, something that gives you a schedule to keep, something yes. that is accountability. And yeah. so I, I struggled through hockey. I, I continued to play at the highest level. And unbeknownst to all of my teammates, this was my daily life. And then I got to a place where it was kind of, I just kind of that crossroad of mm. I either give up because this is no life that I want or I learn. And mm. so I started learning about mental illness probably about five years. In, okay. And I spent the next five years learning that you really have to teach yourself the system because the system for mental health. I want to say in our, our province, our country, but it's a global issue. And, is. you know, this, the system is very complex and confusing and lacking. And, you know, I was fortunate. I was fortunate because of Team Canada and because my parents had financial stability. I was able to access a lot that most people would have waited years for, yes. if at all. Mm -hmm. um, but through those next five years, using a very holistic approach of, you know, yes, I was medicated. Yes. I had a psychologist that I finally started listening to and participating with instead of just staring at her and learning, you know, physical health, nutritional health, sleep and the impact of sleep on mental health, mindfulness, meditation, yoga. I started kind of pulling all these pieces in any any suggestion anybody had, it was just kind of like, okay, I clearly don't know best. So I'm yeah. going to have to trust those who may. And yeah, yeah. which and is really so interesting. Cause I think a lot of people like you hear this and you're like, okay, she got from the worst to better, but I love that you sort of touch on the fact that there was a lot of muddying through that. There was a lot of oh, like horrible. letting go of, especially knowing that you like held on for five years, just trying to manage it yourself. Because I think a lot of people are very resistant to diagnosis, very resistant to help, to help. I know I was, especially because to me, it made me fearful. If, if we start, if we start picking away at the scab, how bad is this wound? And am yeah. I going to make it out? And that, yeah. like, I think when you start to not trust your own mind, there's a certain something that happens when you get a diagnosis and you're like, wait, what? It's me. Like there's that, there's that Taylor Swift song right now. And it's like, it's me with the anti-hero song. And, and, yeah. and there's that moment in when you get a diagnosis where you're just like, I, will I ever trust myself again? Will I ever trust my brain again? Am I ever going to be safe? So I understand your resistance because there's, 
there's a lot of like holding on to fears and stuff, but I love that as you sort of all the, like, as you began to let go, it was a lot of listening and it was a lot of like almost taking on all the advice, which is, which is a really funny train, like turn of a switch. And that took you about five years of sort of going through that muddying situation as well. Right. Well, I think it was the first five years I was just completely yeah. unproductive in it. I, I was yeah. just, I, I was very much a, a shadow of myself, just very much kind of clawing my way through my days. And it was the next five years after that, that that kind of process of learning and, and really finding out what works, because I mean, mm-hmm. it's different for everybody, right? You it know, really it's, is. it's some, something's going to catch for somebody, but the problem is, is that if you don't take those chances to expose yourself to it, you never know. Mm. And I think the hardest part of that too, to touch on what you just said is that kind of uh, cyclical ever growing process of, you know, you hit this plateau of, trusting yourself. And it's kind of like, okay, I can live here. I can exist here in this space and I can embrace this. You know, I'm Mm. I'm a version of myself right now that feels capable Mm. and then you trip again. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay, are we starting over? Mm -hmm. And I think the, the beauty of that is I've learned to challenge myself every time I hit those plateaus and it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, how much further can we go now? And very much that, that analogy of, you know, picking away at that scab is ultimately you're never done learning. You're never done unraveling. You're never done getting to the bottom of it. And I mean, here I am now, my word, like 22 years into this journey or something. And just finally accepting that I need to go through like trauma therapy and, and very much like at, at arm's length, like I have no desire to do it. But, you know, when you start to learn as much as I've learned in mental health, it becomes negligent for me to sit here and be like, no, I'm the only person in the world who doesn't actually need to go down that road. I'm so resentful to you right now that you just said that because the last words I saw my therapist, she was like, you can't escape trauma. You're going to have to go through proper trauma therapy. And I was like, that sounds like a future idea. Yeah. (laughs) That's almost like, and you're sitting here like it's negligent. I was like, no. I well, don't want to. But and here's the problem though. For the past year now, I've been mm-hmm. dealing with the physical symptoms of what is yeah. manifesting mm-hmm. from trauma and experiences mm-hmm. in my life that I have you know, it's funny, like I joke with my my psychologist and and I mean this is an entirely different conversation in its entirety, but I lost my psychologist of my entire life. I was that, I was that anomaly that had one psychologist from diagnosis until last year. Wow. And she passed last year of cancer. And I was like, what do I do now? It's been the most bizarre process of grief and trying to understand Mm. that next step. And ironically, I met my now psychologist who is a dear friend of my past psychologist at my psychologist's funeral. Oh, and wow. I, it was like this, like, now what do I do? Cause I feel like I'm cheating on my shrink because I've <laughs> no. never spoken to anybody else. About I guess it. so. Yeah. And then I tripped into this and I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I feel like a jerk admitting this to you, but I have manipulated psychology my entire life. How and so, oh, like you said this to your psychologist. Yeah. Well, my new psychologist yeah. and I'm sitting there going like, I'm a jerk. Cause I'm talking about a very dear woman to both of us. Yes. And, 
And she's for sure sitting in this room somewhere right now, just Mm. being like, yeah, you did. Mm -hmm. But I, I've always been able to keep it safe. I've always Mm -hmm. been able to go deep enough to find the function that I need to exist at this really decent level of life, but always keep it far enough away that, you know, the Kleenex box in the room was never going to be the thing I needed. Yeah. And yeah now I'm at this place where it's, I'm like being brought back to the most basic of tasks. Like what emotions do you really feel uncomfortable with? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you because you are going to push me into those emotions and I don't want to do it. Yeah. 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 So, and I mean, and that's what I mean by kind of you challenge yourself when you hit those plateaus, because when you can rationally face those moments, then you're in a strong enough place to learn. It's Mm. when you're in crisis and when you're in fear and when you're in doubt that you don't have that ability. have some sort of a holiday road trip, whether it's an hour down the road or many, many more hours, it is sort of a predictable thing to say at some point there's going to be chaos happening in the backseat. So this is where you get to remember that you packed the wow. I want you to remember this when this happens this year and you're driving in the car and instead of just passing back screens, what if you press play on a brand new podcast episode of wow in the world and watch wow happen? Episodes transport you so your car is no longer on the road. It's in space, the rainforest, the desert. With hosts Mindy Thomas and Guy Raz, they share the latest scientific innovations and discoveries with the occasional fart joke. And everyone in the car is listening and learning, even you. So when you pack your bags this holiday season, don't forget to pack the wow and the wonder with Wow in the World. Wow in the World inspires curious kids to think and tinker like real scientists, while sharing scientific research in a fun way that keeps the whole family laughing while they're learning. So look for a screen break from the kids in your life this holiday season, whether whether on the road or at home, just add some wow to your routine, play an episode of Wow in the World and watch their eyes fill with wonder. So if you listen to an episode, you're gonna learn some pretty interesting things. And let me tell you, I had no idea that you can see penguin poop from space, or that it rains diamonds on Neptune, or that the center of the universe smells like raspberries. Dive into the latest scientific discoveries, innovations, and stories guaranteed to make everyone say wow. Listen to a brand new episode of the number one podcast for curious kids and their grownups, Wow in the World, wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Let's get back to today's show. Hi, I'm Shira Barlow, but you may know me as the food therapist. I'm so excited to announce Dear Media's first ever daily show, Good Instincts. If you've ever found it challenging to eat thoughtfully while juggling a busy schedule, then this show is for you. Instead of aiming to simply eat healthier, we'll focus on tips and mindset shifts that streamline the process. Because balance is key, and the less complicated, the better. Join me every Monday through Friday for bite-sized episodes designed to help you close the gap between where you are right now and where you want to go. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I 
I've done the, I've done the umbrella method with therapy for a really long time where I'm like, okay, things are bad. I need a therapist. And then you work with them and then you're like, oh man, I feel so amazing. And then they go for like a couple years. I can go like a couple years. And I'm like, yes, yeah. I've got it. Everything is so great. And yeah. then all of a sudden something will like, it feels like the rug pulls out from under, under you. And you're like, why am I dealing with anxiety the way I am again? Why is this coming up for me? I feel like I don't have anything topically wrong. So why is this happening? But that's sort of what happens is it continues to chase you. And it's a very it's a very difficult conversation too, because, you know, uh, therapy is, is hard to schedule time for. It's hard to open yourself up to. It's hard to trust. It's hard to afford at times, right? Like I'm so grateful that there's a lot more options for therapy now. And there's ones that are outside of the system that you can access, but yeah, like I, I, I love that you're like, I'm 22 years in and we're still working through this, this is lifelong work. And I think that we kind of come from a little bit of a society where we want mental health to be so related to something really, really bad in somebody's life, or that if it's, if it, the big bad thing did happen to you, you're so much further along from that. Why is the big bad thing still following you? And why haven't you let it go? And you know, your life is so perfect, or, you know, you have everything you've ever wanted. Why is this still a problem. Why can't you just let go? And it's just not that simple. Some of the most incredible people I've ever met, people who are at the top of their game are the ones I've witnessed struggle the most at times, because there is this perception and almost this, we've had conversations with friends before where like that bystander effect of like, they must be okay because they've got so much going on for them. Everything looks great. And then all of a sudden one person will be like, how are you? And then it's just boom. It's, yeah. it's, it's out there. And so you had such an interesting similarity to that, where you're at the peak of your career, essentially as an athlete and the rug pulls out from under you, have you been able to process that letting go of such a, what I can only assume was a life goal for yourself? Is that something that you continually have to do? Well, I'm going to go back for one second because there's a really really easy answer to the like, and then it comes back around and then Mm -hmm. we're sitting there and, and it, it sits in that one comment you made, which was, it's really hard to schedule in (laughs) therapy, but you have to schedule the three hours afterwards of pride. Well, but ultimately (laughs) though, then, and that's the issue, right? We do Mm -hmm. live in a society where we don't schedule ourselves into the days ever because we are spread so thin on Mm -hmm. what we have uh, effectively promised to others and what others are expecting from us. So we tend to become complacent on ourselves when we feel well. Mm. And there's the issue with mental health and mental illness is that it is a chronic condition. It is something that has the ability to resurface and manifest in a way that it's controlling your day-to-day life every single day. It's just whether or not we've got it in a place where it's, you know, got that pretty red bow and is far enough back in our closet that we have set it aside. And instead, to me, I think the success is in facing it every day. And so it never surprises you. It never kind of takes you by storm and just throws you apart, which is ultimately exactly what happened to me. And, Mm. you know, have I faced that? I want to say yes. Mm. I want to say that, like, of course. And on any given day, if you asked me now, if I would choose the route of having had the honor of 
playing for Team Canada at the Olympics and winning a gold medal versus the journey that I'm on now and what I do as a result of everything I did lose. No, I wouldn't make that trade. I, mm. I wouldn't go back to me where I am in my life and how relevant it is to me. Uh, it, it's far more important to me at this point. Does that mean that there's not still residual pain and anger that comes with it? Of course. I mean, yeah. I, unfortunately, you know, there's a world championship every couple of years. There's the Olympics televised every four years. And every single time it comes on, everybody's like, hey, did you watch the game last night? And I'm like, eh, no, yeah, not, no, not that one. And it really depends where I'm at again. Mm. It depends how solid I'm feeling and what kind of footing I'm on. And and I'll be honest, last week was the first time that I've ever shared my journey to a room full of people playing women's hockey at the level I played at. Because wow. Yeah. And I've been sharing this story now for 12 years and it's, uh, that was a really tough room to walk into. It, it mm-hmm. was a really difficult space to be in. There were three of my teammates that I played with for probably 10 years each. And, you know, they kind of lived that lie that was me existing with mental illness and hiding it from the world. And then going back to my apartment shattered and, you know, kind of surviving until the next practice and the next game. And yeah. so. It, it was a level of feeling naked that I hadn't quite experienced yet. And I mean, yeah. I, I get, I get undressed on stage pretty frequently. So it's kind of this like notion of like, there was nothing left to hide when I had yeah. that audience. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, is it a challenge? Is it coming through it? It's cathartic. Yeah. It's like free therapy finally kind of, Full circle, really. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's purposeful. And I mean, coming back to your initial question and my decision to put myself in that room last week was very much what I was speaking about at that conference, which was, you know, you can show up every single day and it doesn't have to look the same. You can be on top of your game or you can be in a place where you're feeling really emotional and really Mm kind of not at your greatest and Mm -hmm. still show up in a valuable way. Mm -hmm. And being honest about that and being vulnerable with that is really permission to do so because you take away everybody else's ability to make you feel fear. You take away everybody else's ability to make you feel as though you're not offering the best version of yourself just by being honest about it. I mean, that conference, I wasn't supposed to be at that conference. I, I got asked to be there a couple of days before and up until about 30 seconds before I stepped on that stage, I had no idea what I was talking about. I was sitting wow. there listening to the other presentations and I knew I was going with the notion of what it means when you show up for yourself and in turn, how showing up for yourself not only encourages other to do the same, but it offers a level of support and connection that we've lost. Mm. And in doing so, it doesn't really matter how that looks and you yeah. can find ways to make that a safe space for yourself. You just have to do the work to know what that looks like. You need to know what you need for yourself. And if you are true about that, if you are honest with that, showing up for others just becomes second nature. And yeah. that that level of kind of community building connection and just general kindness is really a game changer when it comes to mental health. 
I, I think it's so important and it's something that I think collectively we have to work on as well. When I experience, I've, I've dealt with anxiety probably my whole life, but recognizing it maybe in the next last like 10 years or so, yeah. but I got diagnosed with depression when I was pregnant with Lemmy and I remember talking about it. And then I remember how uncomfortable other people were with how sad I was. Cause I was like this positive light. And all of a sudden I was like, crying a lot more than normal. Or even recently when somebody I knew passed two two people I knew passed away from breast cancer within the same week. And, uh, I was, I was a different, uh, my best self that day was like showing up, just bawling my eyes out and just trying so hard to process. And I had so many people like, and I, and I don't say this lightly unfollow me because of the discomfort they had from facing sadness from facing the reality of their own humanity. And and I get it because I have a huge discomfort with people who sort of err on the side of negativity. And I have a huge discomfort with anger. If I'm personally anger, angry, I, I have such a hard time processing that feeling. So I understand that when I see people who are upset or angry or causing a stir due to their righteous anger, in many cases, I'm uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable with that side of that emotion, which is, you know, as you kind of touched on really having to face those things sometimes or bring them out, it is really hard. But sometimes talking about it and sharing about your mental health journeys makes other people uncomfortable because it brings up stuff for them, even though this is like your best version of you is sad that day. How have you navigated that as you sort of shifted from the person that was the masked, you know, athlete and player to the unmasked version, which was a very vulnerable person who was very open sharing. Did you face some others reflective discomfort towards you as you journeyed through that as well? I mean, I think that you can get that in any phase of life, but I think that the biggest issue is that typically when people are struggling with it themselves, we're also very quick to maybe give people permission to judge us because we're expecting it. And, you know, it's, it's this kind of, it makes me uncomfortable. So I assume it's making you uncomfortable. And because you don't know how to respond to that in a way that feels valid in relation to how I'm feeling, then I assume the worst of what you're seeing in me. And for me, I'll give you the prime example and, and this will make you uncomfortable. So I do apologize for that right now. Not really, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh, we lost a son three years ago. And we were 32 weeks along and it was horrible. It it was, it was so sorry. That is, it's, it's one of those things that nobody knows how to respond to. And very, you you can't, you You can't. can't, because there's no answer to that. That feels acceptable. That feels enough. That feels validating. That feels like it is even touching on the subject and you know, nine times out of 10, probably greater than that, you make that statement to somebody and they are crawling out of themselves in a way that you just, you can't help but notice. So then you end up 
being their support in this yes, situation. Yes, yes, so yes, 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 yes. Then it's like, okay, so now I have ruined your day because I've just told you something tragic and horrible. And mm. our first and our initial thought, what to do with that as a human is to internalize it. And I can't imagine it. And now I don't want to imagine it. And now I'm crawling out of my skin. Could I please leave this conversation right now? Mm-hmm. And for me, the challenge with that is, I don't want to pretend that those three days in my life never happened Yeah. because then I have to pretend it never happened and he never existed in a way that I can acknowledge and I can carry with me. And he deserves better than that. Mm-hmm. I deserve better than that. My family deserves better than that. It it absolutely has a place in our journey and our story. My six-year-old son remembers it and yeah. and lives through his own grief process with relation to that in a way that is super uncomfortable. And and even for me, I mean, this is yeah. a kid who on any given day he brings up his brother and it's like, mm-hmm. wow, I really don't want to face that today, dude. Yeah. But sure, we can go to the cemetery. That'll be great. Like yeah. You know, so it's people can force us into discomfort, but I think the the general answer when it comes to anything in life is screw them, screw them. If they can't go through your process with you, however that looks, you know, for you to show up to a funeral grieving and to then face people being uncomfortable with that and deciding to unfollow you or deciding to no longer participate in your journey because they can't handle that. Mm-hmm. You need to not pay attention to those very nominal dwindling numbers and let it go. Because at the end of the day, that is a burden in your journey that you don't need to carry. You don't yeah. need to acknowledge. Yeah. Because- and I think you're right. There's like this almost like pre-defensiveness that happens when you're sharing now. Or on the flip side, I reflect how much I've done this to others, like how much I have let my discomfort create barriers between me and other people, especially I know like there, I have a friend who lost her son and she talks about this so much, how lonely it's been because nobody knows what to say. So nobody is saying anything. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm somebody who's not known what to say to you for years. And yeah. so I have been quiet because it's, it felt better to be quiet than to say the wrong thing until she said that. And then I was like, I think we should have just let ourselves potentially say the wrong thing, but at 100%. least check in, at least 100%. check in there, like there, How could you possibly, how could we possibly be born or have lived through knowing the tools of how to help somebody go through something that is, that is hard to even comprehend for themselves. It doesn't, yeah. n- none of it makes sense. They don't exist. Never going to make sense. So uh, there yeah. is like that even as I talk about sort of the bystander effect, I also acknowledge how much I've participated in the bystander effect and my yeah. own discomfort of people's sadness or anger or loss. Like you said, where I, I quiet myself. Cause I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I would rather just be real, be real, real still and real quiet and respect my role in as a bystander. Right. And I, and I think that there's like to your point, there is uh there is that part of us that's like, yes, screw them if they don't want to be a part of this journey. And also what would you say? Maybe this is a question for you. What would you say for those who are like, I keep being a bystander in people's mental health journeys or people's experiences in life and I want to do better? How how have you in your 22 years of dealing with this, uh, coupled with also tragedy, what have been some of the best things that people have done for you during this time? The simple things, 
You know, don't don't tell me how to fix my journey on my own. Mm-hmm. Don't look at me and say, hey, you should really go for a walk today. Don't tell me I should go <sighs> practice deep breathing. Don't tell me that, you know, I should go talk to somebody. The simplest reframing of every single one of those, which are all very valid, which mm-hmm. are all very valid tools to help manage your mental health. The simple reframing is, could we go for a walk today? Mm. Could we go grab a coffee? Do you want me to help you find somebody to talk to? Yeah. Should we maybe look into something like doing a yoga class or something together? Mm. As soon as you simply make yourself available with your time, with your presence, you've changed the entire level of support and conversation. Mm. I don't need you to have the answers. I don't have the answers. I pay a lot of people, I pay people (laughs) a lot of money to have those answers that don't even have the answers because there is no right answer. There are days that the dark humor that comes with trying to tolerate tragedy and these horrible moments in life is appalling, but maybe that's what I need that day. You know, I also work as a firefighter. Maybe it's disgusting to hear somebody joke about horrible things that happen, but maybe that's the tool they need in that moment to survive. Yeah. That's not my place to judge. That's not your place to judge of me. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing it in a way that is harmless to others and it's something mm-hmm. that I'm mm-hmm. going through on my own. And I think that, you know, in asking me the question you just asked me, you answered it yourself, which mm-hmm. is it's really honest and simple to go up to somebody and say, I can't imagine. I don't have the right thing to say. I don't want to make it worse for you, but I don't want to leave you alone with this. So I'm going to try to participate in this with you and I'm going to screw up sometimes. And I'm really sorry. Could yeah. you, could you please just grant me just a little bit of patience for the moment that I stick my foot in my mouth and I'm really sorry. Cause it's bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not leaving you alone with this. Yeah. And it's, it's just a game changer. It's, you know, when it's, it's something that we are so quick to deflect because we don't like being uncomfortable. We don't yeah, like so having true. hard conversations. We want so the like most, the smoothest, the, the least rough journey we can achieve in life is most people's goal. And it's so complex when it's somebody we care about. But at the end of the day, self-preservation is so strong that it's hard to get away from that. Yeah. But I think it's, I think it's more than even just like the mental health conversation. I know that even I saw this like meme the other day, this is totally off topic, but I think I'll loop it back. But it was this meme that said it was for, it was a divorce support page that I follow. And the meme said, you know, things are, things are done when she starts posting selfies and his profile picture changed to the kids. And I laughed because I was like, oh, dang, that's so true. But then it brought me back to that season of like, where you're just like suddenly posting selfies, you're trying to figure out who you are again, you're going through this whole thing and how nobody knew what to do with me. And I was doing everything so awkwardly and so cringy and so at times probably wrong and mistaken, but in the journey of figuring it out, it was so not smooth. And I just remember like all of my friends stop inviting me to things or didn't really know how to include me as a singleton when everyone is in a couple and they assumed that I wouldn't want to be there. And all of this talk 
about me, but nobody talked to me. And I, we all have those seasons. So I think what's really important about all of this is like a, a big part of us being supports for each other is like also working on healing ourselves because when we are showing up as these unhealed versions of ourselves and trying to be support systems for other people, that shit comes up. Like that shit's going to come up. Your insecurities are going to come out. I know that some of the people like didn't know what to do with me during that time. And I also know that they were probably a little insecure about the fact that I was now the single woman at a, at a couple's event, right? There was a lot of, there's a lot of feelings. There. There's a lot of stuff to unpack. There's a lot of their cringeworthy moments when somebody is going through shit where you just, they, they don't know what they're doing with themselves. So yeah, naturally we all don't know what to do with them either. I think that I saw somebody the other day really talking about healing the sister wound and really breaking ourselves away from being so combative with each other and talking about each other and not talking to each other, not like meeting each other where we're at. And really I had one friend who like met me at the rock bottom, which like must've been such a delight for her that we got away from that. But like when she met me, I compare it to like weeding the garden. Like we were in the weeds, literally all there was, was mud and weeds and we're slowly picking at them. And then there was people who did that and then were gone when the garden was good and flourished. Cause they're like, Oh, she's, she's fine now. She's gone. She's good. And there was other people that showed up once the garden was flourishing And there was just that like one person who was there when there was the weeds and all the way through until it flourished and never stopped because she was the one person that could connect all of the hardship to all of the good and why it all mattered, like why it mattered so much. So when shit goes on and I message her, I know that she gets it because she knows what my weeds look like. And I know that she gets why those flowers are so beautiful to me. And I know that for other people, they're like, Ooh, flowers, like how nice. I love, you're so drawn into beauty. And it's, and it's again, like human nature to be drawn to people when they're in like such a positive place or have like such amazing things going on. And I also understand it's it's very easy for people to walk away from the weeds when they're like, I don't have capacity for it. All yeah. that to say with that analogy, I want to be the person that that person was for me. I want to be the person that like goes and understands your weeds with you so that I can celebrate the garden with you as it flourishes, that I can acknowledge that those weeds are going to pop up again and again. And sometimes it takes somebody to know, to get down on their knees with you to help you through it. And so like, that's the process of gardening. Like gardening is not having a perfect garden all the time. That's flourishing. It is dealing with the crap that comes along with it. And I I think that what I'm really taking away from this conversation is like how important it is for us to just acknowledge our mental health on the daily. It is so important for us to like have that care as a priority. You called me out on that, like the first five minutes Two is like how we can you know, unmask ourselves from a lot of what's going on and how we can't heal without facing who we are and what we're going through. And three, like we can be a lot better at showing up and supporting each other through that journey, because I think it's still, everyone's going through something. Everyone's going through something. And I think in the last couple of years, it's been mental health has become an epidemic. There is no emergency room for that sort of crisis, especially when it's not life-threatening. Talk to me about what today looks like for you and where you are with mentally fit and everything, how this has all become who you are today and where it's kind of going. Well, and I mean, just to touch on what you just said first and and that one person and wanting to be mm-hmm. that one person, I think the beauty of it is, is recognizing that when that one person showed up for you and you were at the bottom, she didn't have the answers. 
Yeah. And the reason that she was so effective for you and what makes us effective for others is not because we show up and we know how to teach somebody how to do it better. It's because we're willing to learn it with them mm. and, you know, willing to figure out what it's going to take and what your garden is missing and what yes. it is that requires more. And how can we either a help to provide that or b help you to find that or c just be patient while mm -hmm. you're figuring it out mm -hmm. and people are drawn to the extremes people are drawn to you know one of the most tragic things you'll ever see is you know through loss or through severe illness let's take cancer let's take yeah. you know losing a loved one everybody shows up the first few days oh, everybody yeah. shows up the first couple of weeks and then they dwindle off because yeah. the extreme is gone they've done their part they've done what they needed to do and the problem is, is that people show up in a capacity that's not maintainable. It's not manageable. You can't yes. be there for somebody 24 seven. It's yes. an impossibility. Yeah. But if we just showed up reasonably and we, we accepted the fact that this isn't just a short-term fix and this isn't something that is going to just go away in a week, you know, once the, mm -hmm. the visitations are done and once the funeral is done or once the treatment plan is established and they've got a support team. You know, that's when people get the loneliest. Yeah, People get the loneliest when they realize that they're facing a new reality that they have to fight through, that they have to learn. And people dwindle off in those moments. And I think it's something incredible to be able to just offer of yourself, offer of your time, offer of your presence. And that's mm. the greatest thing we have to offer each other. It's not knowledge. Yeah. It's not answers. You know, I, I could probably talk anybody in this world through a panic attack. But my ability to talk somebody through 15 minutes of crisis is nothing in comparison to me being able to potentially help educate mm. on how to avoid being in that situation time and time again. Yes. And so that's kind of where my journey took me. I got to this place where I learned everything the hard way and it sucked. Like, yeah. it's like, you, you don't want to be that poster child for, okay, so this is how you get through this moment. And this is how you deal with this moment, because you know, that means that you had to get through it. Yeah. and. I got through a lot of this at a time when there was no education. There was no bell. Let's talk. There was no, yeah. it's okay to talk about stigma and awareness, which I hate because I think it's useless and, and we need to be talking about action and resources. But at the end of the day, what I realized was we aren't meant to get through the most challenging things in life alone. It takes mm -hmm. a community. It, it takes mm -hmm. a village to raise a child. It takes a, you know, a community to really create change. Yes, one person can incite it, but at the end of the day, if people don't buy into it, it never changes. Yeah. And so mentally fit, what you just touched on there was actually a program I had started pre-COVID based on just that. Mm -hmm. uh, I had essentially learned I had created a way to implement mental health strategies in rural communities based on a four pillar uh, foundation that is cyclical and all encompassing for the 70 to 80% of those dealing with mental illness that don't require acute psychiatric attention. Yes. And so using community resources, using existing infrastructure, using uh, training that I, I funded having put into these communities, we were able to establish a plan that essentially gives people access to free resources every single night of the week. Uh, whereas otherwise it was either a unattainable or B people didn't even know these resources existed or just simply reframing and teaching people how to utilize existing things 
like a gym, like a yoga mm-hmm. studio, mm-hmm. like a nutrition, uh, a dietitian, a nutritionist, mm-hmm. teaching them how to be a part of this infrastructure so that we could kind of build from the ground up. Well, yeah, the government may or may not be building from the top down. Unfortunately, COVID hits and a community run and a community based uh, strategy became very challenging. Yes. Uh, you can't have people showing up to places that aren't allowed to have people showing up. You can't provide training yeah. in groups when you're no longer allowed to have groups, so on and so forth. So Mentally Fit exists. It's a program I created. It's something that the government has shown interest in having implemented. It's something that is a very sound strategy because it essentially costs nothing to put in place and allows people to be educated on how to show up for each other, which is what everybody's desperate for. Because at the end of the day, people aren't jerks. People are just scared because they don't know what to do. Yeah. One of the most common questions I get asked every single time I talk is, what can I do for somebody? I know somebody's struggling. What can I do? How can I help them? How can I be a support? How can I do this? People want to know. Yeah. And half the time people are buying into the whole bystander silence is simply lack of knowledge, lack of Mm -hmm, education. mm -hmm, I want to show up. I'm scared to do it wrong. So I'm just going to avoid doing it altogether. Well, it's not hard to help people learn those things. So that was something that I, I know that I'm capable of doing and that I have been successful in doing. And so at this point, because I'm concerned. I'm one of those people that believes COVID does still exist. And we are still in a place where potentially there still could be changes to our day-to-day life Mm -hmm. in the foreseeable future. Uh, I don't want to be careless and jump back into implementing Mentally Fit until I know that we have the sustainability of being able to support people who need help. Because Mm -hmm. I hate, hate, hate the thought of people expecting a resource to be available that I have to then pull back because of yeah what we're dealing with. Yeah. And I think that I've seen a lot of people talk about that recently where the wait lists for mental health care is so long. The resources are unavailable. Two and a half years. It's two, two and, and a half, half years. years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a long wait. So there's a lot of people in the support network scrambling to, like you said, figure out the answer to the question, what do I do? Do you have anything that you could say off the top of your head in terms of like a resource that people could like go to right now? You. (laughs) (laughs) Just raise your hand. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I'll tell you what I'm doing and I'm telling, uh, you know, so for me right now, it it was very much this question, right? It was, Mm -hmm. what do I do? I am very sadly on leave from firefighting right now. Uh, just some of the physical issues I've been dealing with have prevented me from being able to be on a truck right now. I'm also somebody who can't just sit still and do nothing. I, I, I need purpose in my day. I need to, that is what fuels me. And so I kind of, you know, people were asking me like, what now? Well, you know, pandemic's over, you can get back out there. What are you going to do? What does that look like? And I I sadly am informed in in statistics and and the current state of things epidemic is it feels like a understatement as to where Mm -hmm. we are with mental illness right now. And, you know, right now, the statistics around suicide and suicide attempts and self-harm and eating disorders and addictions and everything that runs concurrent with mental health, uh, it's appalling. It's 
terrifying. Mm. It's the worst it's ever been. And the 12 years that I've been doing this and the 22 years since I've been diagnosed and the 43 years that I've been alive. Um, and so when people were asking me, it was kind of like, what are you going to do? And all I could think was, you know, what's, how can I help the most people right now? Yeah. What can I do? And so there's this age group around the university age that's really kind of hitting some numbers in those statistics that are terrifying to me. Yeah. And so I went and spoke to a couple of people that uh, know what I do and know what I've done. And, and I've been graciously offered sponsorship money by some corporate groups that are essentially just paying to put me in schools right now. Amazing. So I'm in the middle of a university, uh, in the middle, about to start a university tour yeah. across the country. Wow. Um, that is, you know, being funded by, by a group that essentially just said here, like, go help, go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. I guess anybody listening here to that funding you know, if you have, if you have any interest in being involved, please reach out because it's, yeah. uh, it, it's been phenomenal. But I mean, I, I kind of like tiptoed into this with like, Hey guys, I, I probably have some ability to get out to you guys if you want me. And all of a sudden it's like, I have five presentations in BC and then I'm in Halifax and I'm in, you know, I've got another like seven schools in Ontario and it's, wow, it, it, it just, it happened quickly. And the need is there and it's very the there. Of, well, and the beauty of being able to come at it with funding is it takes the bureaucracy out of it. It takes the administration out of it. It takes the ability for a school that is right now desperately trying to get themselves sorted out. It takes away all of that kind of administrative. Do we have the funding? Where do we pull this from? Where do we? And it's just been, look, like I can get there. I have somebody who's going to fly me to you. Who's going to put me on a stage there. You just have to fill the room. Yeah. And so it's great. I'm so grateful that there are people that have been through this journey with me on some level that they feel the relevance is there. So Mm -hmm. for me right now, for the next, at least until the end of the school year, I'm really just going to focus on getting out there and sharing my journey and, Mm -hmm. and hopefully having some ability to help those who are struggling, help those who are feeling isolated in crisis right now, find a way towards some suggestions and resources that may be able to help them manage their current situations, teach other people how to show up for each other and how to be a bit more comfortable in those uncomfortable situations and really educate on how many resources are available and right in front of you right now that uh, we can highlight and we can put into a different frame for you, a different perspective so that you can understand how to utilize them and hopefully make a direct impact on what your experience is today. Because I'm just, I'm, I've been doing this a long time and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm more scared right now with what I'm seeing than I've ever been. And I, uh, I understand it well. I understand how hard it can be to find tomorrow. And mm. I think right now, just, you know, that what we've been through in the past three years has put something into people that they've never experienced before. And yeah. I don't, it doesn't matter what your belief system is. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to what journey you subscribe through to the, to the, through the pandemic children, youth, adolescents were exposed to fear in a way that they have never, ever, ever developmentally been able to understand. Parents were on display, adults were on display, our fear was palpable. 
the chaos was palpable, the complexity of it, everything that everybody experienced, we all felt it. And it yeah. doesn't really matter how it looked. It was tragic. Yeah. And now you've got such a level of uncertainty and lack of confidence and insecurity with self and mm -hmm. how to manage and how to be resilient and how to tolerate that everybody's inclination is to continue to be forced inside because that's what we just did for three years. We yes. just, we just forced a, the entire world, not, not in a literal sense, although yes, there was the literal sense, but figuratively everybody just got forced into themselves in yeah. a way that it, it's not manageable by ourselves. And or we escaped for a while. I feel like a lot of people opted to escapism and now are facing the reality of what they were mentally surviving through are now coming. It's now all coming to the forefront, right? So for a lot of people, they're dealing with it all for the first time right now. And what I find so incredible about you is you said that you're on leave from firefighting and yet you're literally just like fighting a different, you're like, so I'm not going in and like manually going in and fighting fire. So I'm going to go across the country to different schools where the, where the statistics are very high in mental health issues and suicide attempts. And I'm going to go in there. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to help. You're literally you're, you're doing what you've done. You're firefighting, but just in a different way. And in, in a way that, you know, if you saw a burning building and you're driving by everyone's there, like, oh my gosh, like are, are, did they get out? Okay. And yet mental health is like, is like a fire going on and nobody can see it. And you're just, you're suffocating just as much and nobody can see it. So First of all, thank you for what you're doing, for caring about that age group so much. My oldest is 16 right now and has is no stranger to mental health. And I mean, this stuff matters. We, I find it so fascinating that as, as parents, we were so terrified about like birth and getting them through the first year. And like, if they're going to choke on anything, and then you get to this reality of like having teenagers and kids in the age of the statistics and you're just frozen in fear. Like, oh my gosh, please don't let this happen to us. And you don't know what to do. And we're feeling so frozen in fear. So to know that there's people out there, that there's corporations that are sponsoring this kind of work, that there's people going out there and going like front lines to get in front of these kids and hopefully in front of the fires they're facing. I mean, it's, it's incredibly powerful. I'm incredibly grateful it's hard to be a parent. It's hard to feel helpless. And so, gosh, I did not expect to cry. Thank you so much for giving hope to people, giving hope to those kids and giving hope to other people listening today. I just think what you do matters so, so, so much. And like, obviously, you know, you've been in it for way longer, like you said, than we've been having these conversations. But I think just right now, it's like such a time in life where the need is the need is massive. So I'm going to stop crying and make everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> no, see, and that's, a, that's exactly what we've been talking about. I know, right? That's why I said. I'm like, you're all going to have to listen to me cry on a podcast. Though. You know what? You know what though? It's, it's, and I get it. This is a whole other conversation because parenting mm -hmm. and, and where we go through in those milestones, it's just, you know, mm -hmm. It's not fair. You know, it's not fair. You know, the helplessness of losing a child, the helplessness of now having a three-year-old diagnosed with type one diabetes, yes. the, the impact of watching a six-year-old go through the past, however many years of, of his own grief process, you know, going yeah. from 
going from something as simple as, you know, his athletic mama in the backyard throwing him baseballs and he's swinging them and he's like hitting them. And I'm like, you're a rock star kid. And then all of a sudden he starts swinging up and I'm like, what are you doing, buddy? Like swing through the ball. And he's like, but mama, if I swing up, maybe river can play with us. Oh God. And I'm just sitting there going, my God, like, I never want you to swing through a ball again in your entire life, kiddo. Like, <laughs> Not to know, mention he entered, he, if he's six now, he probably would have been two or three when the pandemic started. These kids have missed yeah. out on like, they're just, it's an entirely, nobody's prepared for this. Nobody knows what the hell to do. Some people know a little bit more than others. I'm so grateful for people like you. There's an, another person I've had on the podcast before anxiety, Josh, and he started his work by having panic, panic attacks and talking about it. And then going into figuring out the mind and how it works. And now he openly shares about anxiety in a way that has like changed my life. And I'm like, thank God for like, it's so, it sucks. Like it sucks that people yeah. go through stuff, but it's also such a beautiful a beautiful glimmer of hope in this whole mess of the last everything. Right. So anyways, well, I could talk to you forever, but we do. <laughs> um, I, I love how I was like, this is a half hour podcast. It is now a 55 minute podcast, but I love that for us. And but I would part, part two. I know soon. part two, right. <laughs> I honestly think we, I, I would love to sort of have you back on after you go on this tour and I want to come back and I want to, and I, I want to sit down and I want to, hear sort of what you've taken away and learned. I want to hear the impact of both these kids. I, I think we need that follow through, right? We need to, we need to, um, revisit this conversation time and time again. So let's do that when you're back on tour. I'm uh, one, absolutely. I would love to. And two, I'm going to just step in here real quick before you disappear on this. It's okay to let your 16 year old see you cry. It's okay to not have the answer as parents. It's okay for them to know that you don't have the answers. What's not okay is hiding that and avoiding going through it with them so that you don't have to feel as though you're letting them down or you don't have to feel the helplessness. And, you know, walking up to your teenager's door and knocking on the door and saying that you notice something's off and not knowing the answer, but actively participating and wanting to help them figure out the answer that has a hell of a lot more impact than anybody ever realizes being left alone with it it is something we tend to do to avoid our own discomfort and the fact that you know your 16 year old is dealing with mental health issues that's already a win because it means you're participating in it yeah. And, and she's okay. thankfully allowed me to, to share about it as well, because I think that she recognized very early on that nobody was really, when she first was diagnosed with a seasonal affective disorder, it's obviously changed since then, but it, it no longer was one season, unfortunately, but it's, to watch her take that so seriously and to also be like, no, I'm, I I'm okay to share and not everybody has to share, but like, no. she's such a private person, but that's the one thing that she's like, yeah, please tell people about this because she's like every day, like a walking warrior. Like she wakes up and she, she fights a fight and that's like a, it's terrifying for me, but I'm so proud too. So thank you. I think there's a lot of parents who probably have the exact same fears I do where they see the stats and they see the news stories and there is that feeling of helplessness, but it's, I don't want to be a bystander either. And I want to be able to show up for her and I also want to be able to show up for the kids that you're talking to. And I think that's where 
I'm really excited for all of us to sort of be able to follow along. So where, where can we sort of follow along on that journey with you, find the resources through you? Yeah. So Instagram. yeah, you can hit me at Instagram. It's at kfisher30. That's a good one. My website's being redone right now. So hopefully I'll be able to kind of keep tabs on where I am in the country or awesome in, in North America. I will be south of the border as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all my channels are open. Uh, I'm not, you know, my only kind of, my only statement is I'm not, I'm not there in crisis. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you're somebody who's in crisis, please reach out take the appropriate steps, get yourself talking to somebody, get yourself connected mm-hmm. with somebody. Mm-hmm. I would love to say that I have that capacity. I don't. And I would yeah, hate for anybody fair. to think that, um, but you have questions, you need some guidance in terms of where to look or what might be in your area, or you just want to understand that, you know, some of what I'm teaching, I'm actually launching a podcast as well in the next Good. couple of weeks that oh. will have that education piece behind it and, and these conversations. So uh, yeah, I mean, check out kennerfisher.com. Give it like a week or two before you do, because right now yeah. it's still defaulting <laughs> elsewhere. Uh, Maybe by the time this is out, it'll be on. There you go. There, there you go. go. Perfect. And uh, otherwise, yeah, Instagram's a great place to start. And I'll throw up a link tree there for anywhere else you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Yep. Everyone was right about what they said when they came off that stage about you. <laughs> and you're very special and very important. And thank you so much. And for did everyone they, listening. Yeah. I'm so did, glad that you came on. Did they warn you that they cried too? No, nobody <laughs> warned me. I, I am a bit of a crier, but like, I didn't, ex- I, I don't like when it hits me out of the blue where I'm just like, damn it, we went there. No, that happened. It's fine. But no, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, I'm going to make sure we have everything in the show notes for you as well. And uh, we will see you next week. Please take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.